Hello, hello, it's Brooke Duvard, and you're listening to the Naked Beauty Podcast. Alamide Aloe was such an incredible guest. She is like one of my favorite guests of all time. She is the co-founder of Topicals, one of the most innovative new skincare companies. They developed two products to treat eczema and hyperpigmentation, which are the most stubborn and difficult to treat skin conditions out there. But what I loved about talking to her more than anything is just getting into her story, her background, how she raised millions of dollars. She gets into the tea of who her investors are, but also she's just like such an amazing Gen Z overachiever. So she was able to just give me like, what's the deal with Gen Z? How are you guys thinking about beauty products? What do you think it's going to take for the beauty products of the future to cut through and connect with audiences? I love their marketing. I love their branding. I love their products. And she was just incredible. You guys are going to love this episode. And if you're in the beauty industry, just like pay close attention to what these young brands are doing and how these young people are thinking about beauty because it is truly the future. And other than keeping up with all of my interviews and making content for you guys on Naked Beauty Planet, I've been really good. Still just having the best time with Mavi. He's growing up so fast. I can't believe he's already six months old. It's just overwhelming when I think about it, honestly. It's going by so quickly, but I'm I'm loving every single moment. I have a big update in terms of my wellness journey. I've started working out with a personal trainer. Her name is Lucy. She is lovely. She comes to my little outdoor area outside of my apartment. We do core work. We do pelvic floor work. We do modified push-ups. And it's just really getting me back into shape. I have abandoned fitness entirely for the past year. So I'm really excited to be getting back into it. It's been really rewarding and I hope I can stick with it. I hope all of you guys are doing well, that you're treating yourselves well, that you're speaking to yourselves kindly, that you're drinking lots of water, getting your skincare routine in, wearing sunscreen every day, all of that good stuff. Let's get into my conversation with Alamide. You'll know real when you get it. It will say eBay authenticity guarantee and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like a gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts, not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. At 23 years old, Alameda. Aloe is purported to be the youngest Black woman to raise over $2 million in venture capital funding, $2.6 million to be exact. This year, she and co-founder Claudia Tang founded Topicals, a skincare brand with high-end beauty products intended to treat sensitive skin conditions at lesser price points. Congratulations. Thank you. This is from September 2020. So I'm guessing you're 24 now. I am. I turned 24 in October. Wow. The fact that you have created this amazing brand with your co-founder and raise all of this money 
is just phenomenal. And I, they always say like Gen Z is the future. And I can just see it in your marketing and the products that you're coming up with and the packaging and the positioning. It's just all so crystal clear, so thoughtful, so fun. So I just want to commend you for being like an incredible just force. I appreciate that so, so much. I really do. Yeah, it's been really fun. It's really cool to see that Gen Z can actually change the world and we can change things that we don't like about you know, the beauty industry, whatever industry we're in. Yes, absolutely. So we're going to talk about what your experience has been like building this brand and raising money and all of that. But I love that for topicals, you guys decided to focus on two of the most stubborn skincare conditions and like kind of like not the sexiest things to treat either, right? Like everyone loves like a dewy serum. Everyone loves like it's easy to sell those things, but you guys were like, no, we're going to come in and we're going to try to tackle eczema and hyperpigmentation. The hardest things ever. (laughs) Hardest things to get right. And I love your formulations and I love the product. So let's start with hyperpigmentation because that's a really, really big one, especially for women of color. And your faded cream, first of all, my audience, they're all over it. They're like, oh my gosh, Brooke, you haven't been using faded. Like what is wrong with you? It's the best. It's like... (laughs) And do you know what a lot of people said, which I think is such a testament to how good your product is? They've said that they've only bought it once, right? So like you sell one and the hyperpigmentation is gone and you don't have to buy it again. So I started using it last week on my legs. I have scars on my legs. And what I love about your products is you can use it on your face or on your body. But that product for hyperpigmentation is the gold standard. So tell me how you came up with Faded, what's in it and what makes it so special? Yeah, this is like my favorite question. So this started about, we're in 2021 now. So three years ago, I was trying to come up with a product for hyperpigmentation. And when I started doing a ton of research, this was like reading a bunch of journals and um, talking to dermatologists. I was pre-med in undergrad. And so I started to look into the data and found that 75% of dermatology clinical trial participants are white, meaning that the vast majority of ingredients and products on the market haven't been tasted, tested for safety or efficacy on the skin of color. That was super astounding to me because people of color make up a huge demo when it comes to the beauty world. Some of the other things that started to, to come up for me when I was looking into you know, starting a company or building this product was that I think they said there are about 60% of dermatologists said that their medical school training didn't prepare them to treat skin of color. So again, I started to, to, to think back to my childhood growing up with a ton of chronic skin conditions. I had hyperpigmentation. I had ingrown hairs, boils, acne. I don't know what was going on, but I had all the things. I remember growing up and going to you know, either a primary care physician or a dermatologist and then either prescribing something or basically telling me, we've never really treated this on your skin. We don't exactly know what the best case on how we should treat this. So when I started to, to get older and understand the data, I knew that there was like a really big opportunity here to create a product for my community that one, wasn't bleaching, I'm Nigerian. So I grew up in the bleaching community, you know, like... Yeah. So wait, can we pause there for a second? Because I want people to understand the difference between bleaching creams and creams that target hyperpigmentation. Because I think a lot of people are afraid to use hyperpigmentation products because they think it's going to lighten all of their skin. So can you just help clarify the difference? So bleaching creams feature ingredients that pretty much destroy the pigment in the skin. It's kind of like non-discriminatory, whether it's darker patches of skin, lighter patches of skin, it'll just destroy them. Ingredients like hydroquinone are very much the gold standard, especially in the dermatology world for treating hyperpigmentation. 
but more data. Again, I'm very data oriented. A lot of data that I was reading was that um, ingredients like hydroquinone, when misused or not used under physician direction, a lot of people were actually getting a condition called oconosis, which is basically permanent skin cell death. So if you've ever seen any of those aunties that have like that gray cast on their skin after using Ambi or any kind of hydroquinone-based product, that's why. Hydroquinone is a really great ingredient for treating hyperpigmentation, but when mismanaged or not used in the right way or overused, which it's, it's really interesting, this cycle of hyperpigmentation, chronic skin conditions can't be cured, right? And so if you're using products for a condition that can never be cured, that means you're going to constantly be using the product. And so the issue is with that product, if you constantly use it, then it leads to permanent skin cell death. And so you're in this loop of like trying to, to solve your hyperpigmentation or, you know, treat your hyperpigmentation, but then also potentially damaging your skin. And all of that data really led me to the fact that there wasn't a product that was targeted for hyperpigmentation that was safe and effective, particularly for skin of color. With skin of color, because we have more reactive melanocytes, which are basically the skin cells that are uh, responsible for melanin, because we have more of those, and they're, or we don't have more, they're actually more active, we tend to have more hyperpigmentation. So that sent me into a tailspin to figure out why does hyperpigmentation even happen? Wait, okay, you're sorry, because your your pre-med background is showing and I love it. But I need you to just help me like break it down in more simple terms. Like what is happening when we get hyperpigmentation? Like what is happening with our skin? Yes, that's exactly what I'm gonna tell you. So what's really interesting about hyperpigmentation in most chronic skin conditions is that they're multi-step, right? And so when you get hyperpigmentation, there's I think there's about three different steps to the actual deposit of the melanin that then creates the hyperpigmentation. Most products on the market, most vitamin Cs are only targeting one step in what we call the pathogenesis, which is like why something happens in your skin when it comes to hyperpigmentation. Only one step, which is why it's so difficult when you're using these products to actually like have something that works and something that like stays. And like you said, you buy one time and it actually works. What we did with Baited is that we targeted every step of the pathogenesis of hyperpigmentation. So before it even deposits, we're already using ingredients that are anti-inflammatory because what hyperpigmentation is, is inflammation. We use ingredients in there that lift the hyperpigmentation that is already um, there. And then we also use ingredients that um, calm the skin. So if you do all of those three steps and basically just target all of the pathways that are known for causing hyperpigmentation, it's a lot easier to treat the hyperpigmentation or reduce the appearance of it versus just using maybe a one-off ingredient. And that's the, kind of the magic behind Faded and all of our ingredients is this targeted solution where, you know, instead of using 10 single ingredient use products or single ingredient products for the skin condition, we wanted to create a product that had five to eight active ingredients. So it'd be your one-stop shop for treating the appearance of that hyperpigmentation or eczema or whatever other skin condition. Love it. And what are the active ingredients in Faded? Yes. So faded is my baby. I love faded so much because I grew up with a ton of hyperpigmentation, tranexamic acid, kojic acid, azelaic acid, melatonin, licorice root. What am I missing here? We use centella asiatica, which is really great. Again, a lot of people think that hyperpigmentation is about like destroying the dark spot. Really, it's about like caring for your skin barrier. So centella asiatica does a really good job of like keeping it hydrated. I think those are all the ones, niacinamide, which is like the big one. Yes. I was going to say you left out niacinamide, which is like a hero ingredient. But can we also like, I love that you do this. Like I need skincare brands to normalize putting the ingredients on the actual product. Like I love that. 
because I hate when it's like on the box that you throw away and then you forget what's in it. And I feel like it's so important for people to know the ingredients that their skin loves. And I love that you just like list it all there. I just, I love the packaging. Like the product design is just like incredible. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Very intentional for us. I think we always wanted the products to reflect what we didn't see. You know, when we shopped in the beauty aisle, our aisle wasn't even a beauty aisle. It was the ointment app, right? And, and products in the ointment aisle are not cute. <laughs> they are they are usually white packaging. They look very like clinical. And so we wanted to take the same experience that people were experiencing in the beauty aisle and bring it into the ointment aisle. But we knew that we wanted it to be based in science, which is why we have the ingredients on the back of the, the tube, why we talk so science-oriented and why we're creating products for um, skin conditions that people typically don't talk about. Absolutely love it. Okay. You are very impressive. So I'm so excited to get into your background. So first of all, where did you grow up? I grew up in El Paso, Texas. So that's west side of Texas. My parents are, I'm a first-gen Nigerian daughter of immigrants, born and raised there. Texas is a very interesting place. Do you speak Spanish? I used to, and it's so sad. I don't speak very fluently anymore, but my father speaks fluent Spanish. Oh, wow. So what was your relationship to beauty growing up? Like I mentioned a little bit earlier, I grew up with a ton of chronic skin conditions and I also grew up, you know, I'm darker skin. And so I didn't really grow up going to the dermatologist very often because a lot of times they were just kind of like, we've never really treated this skin um, type. And so I grew up on YouTube. My mom used to always be like, who are you watching? Do they have a job? Um, She's like a typical Nigerian mom. She's like, don't they go to school? Don't they have a job? And I'm like, mom, this is their job. And this is like early, this is like 2010, right? When YouTube was first becoming yes. a thing where people were like on there. But I was the kid who was like making the cayenne olive oil hair mask to like help my hair grow. I was doing the lemon um, lemon juice and honey masks, trying to get rid of hyper- Like hyperpigmentation was such an issue for me growing up. Right. And so I, that's who I grew up that, as that person. I was very experimental. And also really love science. Both of my parents are in the medical field. And my dad's a doctor. So I was very much groomed to go to medical school. <laughs> totally. It's so amazing looking back at like those early natural hair days because I went natural in college. And I can remember some of those natural hair like YouTubers, like they, some of them are like on a scientific level though. Like some of yeah. them were like, okay, this is the pH of the product. Like p- people were like testing their like homemade aloe vera gel with pH strips. And like, I mean... I feel like that was kind of my introduction into like the science of beauty as well. Like just these women at home with a camera breaking it down. Some of it wasn't good advice. Like I remember, I will never forget when I did a baking soda hair mask, like what was I thinking? But someone that's like, it makes your curls look amazing. So, you know, I've had some DIY fails, but I think net net, it was a really positive experience for me. So you are a beautiful young woman. Did you feel beautiful growing up? I did not. And even now, I mean, I'm very transparent with people talking about kind of at topicals. We also talk about kind of this idea of body dysmorphia and this idea of having filter face, uh, this idea of having filter face, right? Where it's like, um, I think Gia Tolentino, she's a writer, talks a lot about this like cyborg face. And I think I fall into that even now where it's like my nose, right? Is my nose pointy enough? Is it cute enough? You know, sometimes I'm like, oh, does my nose look too big? You have a very cute nose, I must say. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. And like, I mean, even now, that's why I try to keep off of Instagram. I feel like I tend to compare myself to others and say like, do I look as good as X, Y, and Z? And I think it's for me, it's very, I actively have to unlearn that like being dark skin, having um, a round nose, 
does not make me ugly, you know? And I think these messages are just beat into our head. And, you know, we think that it's not, it's, we're not taking it in or it's like, oh, that doesn't really matter. Sticks and stones will break your bones. But you start to just hear it over and over again. And I know growing up, I was always, when people did tell me I was pretty, it was, oh, you're so pretty for a dark skinned girl, you know? Oh, so God. pretty for a black girl. What I, I really hope people understand by now that that's like not a compliment in any way. Saying you're pretty for a black girl is just not a compliment. Now, you're a leader, you're a boss. I'm, I'm curious what you're like as a boss because you seem very like friendly, but you also seem very like about your business. Were you a natural born leader? Were you always kind of like in leadership positions? I know we share track in common, which was like the bane of my existence, but you did track in college. So you were like a real track runner. I'm, it was the bane of my existence. I think back now and I'm just like, how did I even do that? I'm the oldest of three and I, I'm a daughter of immigrants, right? And I grew in household. So I definitely grew up being the leader and being like, get your siblings together. We're going to school. We're doing X, Y, and Z. And so I very much was naturally a leader. Um, my mom said that I was like that since I was little. And I think track definitely made reinforce that for me. I was like on world trials teams when I was like 16 going to meets, you know, trying to make the world team for USA for, for youth team. Right. And sorry, just for the, for the few people that understand track and like record times and what that means. Can you, cause you told me before we talked about your time was for the 400 and I did the 400 and I want to say my best time was like 57 and I worked so hard to get 57 seconds. Just tell us what your best time was for the 400. Just so the people that understand track, their jaws can drop. I ran a 54.3 when I was in high school. When you told me that, I was shook. Like that's, a, that's, that's Olympic level. It's Olympic level. I think when I was in high school, I was being groomed to get there. So that's another reason why I think I handled pressure really well is that 54 is a good time, but my coaches were always like, if we can get you to 52, you know, by the time you get out of high school, like if we can get you to 52. And so I was actually highly recruited by schools across the country. I ended up choosing UCLA because I wanted the balance of athletics and academics, but I was a very competitive runner. I actually, um, people always ask me, have you been back to Nigeria? Have you, you know, things like that? And I say, no, unfortunately, I haven't been in a while. I've been before, but not in a while because every summer was dedicated to like making a world's team. It was dedicated to like being number one. At one time, I was ranked number five in the country out of um, just my freshman year of college, um, freshman year of high school, I'm sorry. And by the time I graduated high school, I was like in the top five of, in the country. I was, I won the state meet in Texas. And so it was very interesting. It was very, I was very disciplined, but I was also in advanced classes. So I was an international baccalaureate graduate. Um, of course so, you were. <laughs> of course you were. <laughs> my mother always said, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing well. So I was like the kid who was doing both school and sports and broke a lot of records in, in high school. And I think it set me up for who I am now, but it was, it was awful. I won't even lie to you. Training for the 400 is... yeah. I hate running. Me too. I don't run anymore now. People are like, you want to do workouts? I'm like, can we do Peloton? Can we? I would do any other aerobic exercise except for running. The cardio that I love is dance. I love dance cardio. Like that's so fun for me. I'll do kickboxing. I'll do any other cardio, but running. I Running is just associated with like shin splints. Did you get shin splints? Yes. Oh my gosh. That, I had to retire from college track because of that. Like my bones were becoming brittle because I was just pounding myself. It, yeah. That's why I was like, I'm not, I'm not running anymore. Like, oh my I'll, God. I'll stay the way I am. Yes. Well, are your parents just really proud of you? Yeah. 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 I'm they sure are. they are. I'm sure they are. they are. 
I don't even like know you really, and I'm proud of you. So I'm sure you're. Thank you. I appreciate that. So, what were your perceptions of the beauty industry before you joined the beauty industry? Like growing up, like what did you think the beauty industry was the place that you would be in? Like, what did you think of the industry? You know, I never thought that you could create a career out of being in the beauty industry. I think that was like the big thing for me growing up. I didn't know that people, you know, I didn't even know people were like fashion editors. I didn't know that until college. You know, I grew up in Texas where no one's no one's really a fashion editor or a beauty editor. So I didn't know that people were writing stories or creating products. I never thought about who made soap. And it wasn't actually until my sophomore year of college that I was introduced to beauty in a very different way than just like kind of consumer type beauty. I was very fortunate. She's still one of my best friends to this day, Rochelle Dennis. She's the daughter of the owner of Shea Moisture, Rich Dennis. We actually roomed together in college, which is super serendipitous. Our sophomore year, she was on the gym team. She was on gymnastics. I was on the track team and we were like bread and butter. And she was like, come build this brand for like young women of color. This is before people were saying Gen Z. So it was like, come build this like tween brand (laughs) under Shea Moisture. Let's like build a brand that we'd like to see using the resources that Shea Moisture can allot to us. And that was like my first introduction to like, oh, people make soap and lotion and sell it and you can be in stores. And we would, we would pitch to people like Target, Walmart, Ulta. I was like 19 flying like after practice, Rochelle and I would get on a plane, leave and fly to Minnesota. We would take our meeting and then like fly back because we'd have practice in the morning. And it's like, I didn't even know like buyer meetings. I didn't even know what that meant until I got that opportunity with them. And I'm so, so grateful and appreciative of the Dennis family because they took me in like their own. That's amazing. And so you had this experience with Shea Moisture. How did you meet Claudia, your co-founder for Topicals? And also like, what advice do you have for like figuring out if someone's going to be a good co-founder? Because I feel like some people are like, oh, me and my friend love skincare. We could start something, but it's not that simple. So tell me about that experience of kind of connecting with her and starting this brand. Yeah. So in college, I did a business program at Harvard Harvard Business School. And while I was there, I met a young man. He's also Black, who was starting a a tech company in the more construction management field. He lives in New York. He was like, we should stay connected. You know, We were the only ones out of the um, group of people who had been accepted to the program. Uh, Maybe there's a couple of us, three or four of us that had actually started our own businesses and were going to the program more as like entrepreneurs than some of the other students were going as, oh, I work for like, you know, the big three consulting firms. And I'm putting this on my resume. McKenzie, Boston Consulting. It's so boring. Yes. Yeah. I went to Stanford and I feel like everyone either went into banking or consulting. Yep. And so that's what a lot of our, our class in that program was, was banking or consulting. And he was like, let's stay connected. There are not very many of us. I mean, we just started talking back and forth as I was like having this idea, trying to build what Topicals has now become. And he was like, I have a friend that I went to boarding school with. And um, she grew up with eczema and she's really in love with Durham. She actually is working at Stanford as a clinical research coordinator. And she's been working there since she was 14. And I was like, 14? I was like, <laughs> how, how has she been working there since she was 14? And she's like a savant when it comes to the sciences. And um, that's how we got connected. It's so funny because I still have the email that connected us. And we laugh about it because it's, it's just like, we were so formal like, hi there, nice to meet you. And Blah, 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 blah. And so, yeah, that's how we got connected. And, and she did product for us. All of the products that you see today, the first two, faded in milk butter. That's amazing. You guys both have academic and science backgrounds. And a lot of people, I'm sure you've seen the rise of the celebrity skincare brands where like yes. Halo's like shilling like olive oil face masks, <laughs> no shade. Do you think that 
there will be this like return and emphasis on people that have the background and know what each of these ingredients do? I think there's going to be in the future brands that resonate with people. And I feel like it's hard to say whether it'll be just science oriented or just brand, um, like celebrity oriented. I think the brands that are going to win in the future are going to have a combination of both. I do think that customers and consumers can sniff out when someone is just like showing a product, like you said, that is just like, I've been thinking about this brand for forever. And it's really like, no, you saw the opportunity and you jumped into the beauty industry. I think consumers are really smart. I mean, people call them skin intellectuals. So they understand what's happening in the market. They now understand the business of beauty, which I don't think we understood as we were growing up and using some of these other brands. And so I think that those kind of brands may have their like time where they rise a bit, but they may fall. I think the brands that are going to win are the ones that do have a good brand. Because I think that's been the problem with the science-backed brands, right? They've been science-backed, but you feel nothing towards them. There's no emotional affinity at all. Zero. Zero. I love that term, skin intellectuals. I feel like that really succinctly describes my audience. Like they are very savvy. Like we're going to look at what the ingredients are. And I think that's why a lot of launches like Fenty Skin, like maybe they just like fell flat with, I'm talking about like my specific audience that they were just like, eh, like I'm looking at the pro- like the ingredient list and like, I'm not feeling it. Love Rihanna. Love her down. I love Fenty Beauty. Like I love the lip gloss. I only use that foundation. The Fenty foundation. Do you use the cream, the um, hydrating pro filter or the mattifying? hydrating. The matte didn't do well for me, but the hydrating did great. <laughs> right. And the hydrating one has grapeseed oil in it, which my skin loves. So love Rihanna, love her down, support her in everything she does. But like Fenty skin for me was just not an exciting launch just as I looked at what the ingredients were. Whereas like human race from Pharrell, I was excited about. Granted, he worked with my dermatologist who I love and respect, Dr. <laughs> Jones. But I think that it showed in the way that the products showed up. So I think you're absolutely right. I think people are getting really savvy, but let's get into the marketing and the branding behind topicals because like you guys are coming out with velour track suits. You guys are showing people with, you know, regular skin, imperfect skin. You've got the spotty hotties. Like let's talk about it. So let's, let's first start with just this move towards embracing skin. That's not perfect. And can you tell me what spotty hotties are, who they are? A spotty hottie is someone who has a visible skin condition, um, typically someone who has a chronic skin condition. This could be eczema, hyperpigmentation, acne. This could be whatever it is. And I think for us, I think words mean a lot. My mom taught me that growing up. Like words and what you say mean a whole lot. You know, if you're saying like something over and over and over again, you tend to start to believe it or confirmation bias. You end up like becoming that thing. And I think in the beauty world, for people with chronic skin conditions, you've always been ugly or you've had terrible skin, you've had bad skin. And so that's why a lot of our language is very playful because I think we always say that Gen Z is really nihilistic, right? Like we know the world is ending and we want to go out with a bang. And so for us, we think a lot about that with our skin conditions, right? Yeah, it's not fun to have a chronic skin condition, but it's also really funny to kind of like poke fun at yourself and beauty standards that are extremely archaic. And so that's what we call spotty hotties, spotty hotties. And I think this push towards embracing real skin is the fact I go back to, again, Gia Tolentino with this idea of cyborg face and like this fake face. A lot of us can't take a picture without a filter anymore. And that's like very deeply worrying to myself, to a lot of people. And so I think for me, it was just like, how do we make a chronic skin condition or a visible skin condition something that's like more like an extension of your personal sense of style than it is something that you hide? 
And that was kind of the foundation of why we show visible skin conditions in a very cute and fun way. Is that like, what if my acne was kind of like decorative? What if it was part of my outfit or part of my style? What if dark spots were beauty marks versus thinking about them as something I fully want to get rid of? Obviously, there's this balance for us because we are a skincare brand, right? We're not going to tell you, uh, we're not going to, we can't sell you a product and be like, don't use the product, but also love yourself, right? But I think there's this balance, right? Like some days you just want to go bare face with full-blown hyperpigmentation and eczema and dark spots. Other days you want to like improve your skin or you want to, you know, treat yourself in, in a way that feels more like self-care. And so I think for us, we balance doing both of those things by having things like the lower jackets, right? Like the people who are keyed into topicals get to have this experience that they've never had before. Like you can't tell me that you've been using your ointments and you would buy a velour jacket from your ointment company. You just wouldn't do it. Absolutely not. I'm I'm gonna order my velour jacket tonight and then I'm gonna take a selfie with no filters and just have my like topicals Gen Z moment that I want to be part of so badly. <laughs> when I saw just even like the trucks that you guys did and like your out of home marketing, I got chills because I was like, this is so refreshing and so innovative and so where the skincare industry needs to head. So you've raised a lot of money. So you have investors. Do you have to explain these things to your investors or do they just trust you guys implicitly? They just trust me, which is so fun. And so love that. Um, I think anyone who knows me though, knows I'm like very critical of myself. And then I also am very much about surrounding myself with people who are more experienced than I am. And so I'm never making a decision as like a 24, 23, 24 year old, just having fun. Like I'm very, very strict on the books. My team knows that I'm always like, how do we, you know, cut costs? How do we do whatever without um, compromising quality or, you know, not being able to work with the people we want to work with. But I am very, I know that black women don't get that many opportunities to be in the spot that I'm in. So there is a lot of pressure on me to deliver, but I also try not to let that pressure get to me because I am no one's statistic, right? I am no one's while I represent the whole of my community, I also am allowed to fail. I'm allowed to make mistakes. And I think I'm fortunate that my investors are really great. I know some people who maybe your investors are a little bit more controlling or investors aren't really helpful. I adore every single one of my investors. And I think they're really supportive of me because they think that I've tapped into something that other people just weren't seeing. Absolutely. I mean, I get the sense from you that you're serious and you're about business, but also like you had fun in Westwood. Like you were, you had a I time. Did. Like you were, I did you were, have fun in Westwood. <laughs> you were doing your like double shots at night. Like you were having <laughs> fun. Like you, you know how to balance the two, which I think is important. And I think that sense of fun comes through in the brand expression. And I think you're absolutely right. The brands that we're going to care about, most are the ones that we feel close and connected to. So I think you're like in a really great position to create a brand that people feel that affinity towards. Do you ever use Reddit? Okay. So I did in the past, uh, we don't use Reddit now as like a place to market because one, I, I respect the Reddit community, right? I know that yeah, you're not, you're not allowed to people market. do not like to get marketed over there, which is like no. totally fine. But I think the Reddit community is really interesting because I think they're on the pulse of what is coming. And I get, I got honored when people on Reddit found out about topicals and were kind of talking about topicals. That was like, oh my gosh, no, it yes. because before it launched, people on Reddit were like, Okay, look at the formulation. I'm dying. I'm excited. This yes. brand is And that was like, wow. Like once you get Reddit people to say, like, yes, this brand is it. Yes. <laughs> you are you've won big. And I also kind of want to talk about you, you saying that I am like serious, but also I'm fun. I am so goofy. It's so funny. I think people see me do these different interviews and they're like, wow, she's so smart. She's so put together. 
I'm the goofiest person ever. <laughs> my boyfriend always tells me all the time, he's like, you're not funny, but I think I'm hilarious. People <laughs> on my team think I'm hilarious. What's your sign? I'm a Scorpio. Oh, okay. So don't cross you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I get it. I get it. <laughs> but I'm also like a really big, like, bookworm. My mom was just, my mom used to drop us off in the summer at Barnes and Noble. <laughs> so there was, I didn't go to summer camp and stuff. So I, I'm, I may not be the most like outdoorsy, but I read a, a lot of books. I read Goosebumps. I, I was, I was always just very curious as a kid. And I think like I've taken that curiosity and this like rabid love for consumer behavior. Like I'm, I'm obsessed. Like why do people buy what they buy? Why do they like what they like? And I think that's, what's made topical successful is this idea of like, Let's not pretend we know what customers like. Let's like go talk to them. Let's study them and let's give them what they want. But I think a lot of brands for some reason have a hard time just listening to their community. Instead, they want to create whatever is going to be the next you know, product that can make them a ton of money. That's not how we do product development and topicals. It very much is with our ambassador program, with our community, with you know market trends around skin conditions that people know no one wants to talk about. <laughs> And so we get, we have a, a lot of fun just creating these experiences for people who typically, you know, haven't had this experience. I mean, when you're finding out about your skin condition through WebMD, it's not exactly the same as, you know, like you said, a dewy serum or right. a highlighter. Absolutely. So what year were you born in? 96. 96. Wow. That makes me feel so old. So who were your beauty icons growing up? Like who did you think was just like, she's it. I wish I could look like this. Like she's got it going on. Gabrielle Union was definitely like a big one for me because I love her. I loved Bring It On. Loved yes. it. Love Bring It yes. On. She's been on the podcast. She was like one of my favorite interviews. Oh my gosh. I feel honored to be like even on the stage. You should reach out to her though and send her products. She would love to support topicals. Like this is like so like she always champions Black women doing amazing things. So I feel like you should like reach out. I will definitely do that. She's a Bruin too. So like, I'm like... Oh, right. Right. Yeah. That's true. You guys have the UCLA connection. We do. Someone else that I really, really loved growing up. Who else? There's a couple of different people. I think it's harder for Black women to find people because we didn't have that many representations of beauty. But I think like Gab Union is definitely... I love to bring it on so much. So I think she was like... Iconic. Yeah. A big one. And she looks the same. It's 2021. And why do you look the same? <laughs> right. I think the other person was Brandy. I loved Brandy growing up as well. And, and it's so funny because I didn't know Brandy as a singer. That, I think that dates me as being born in 96. I didn't really know yeah. Brandy as a singer. Like, yeah, I the her. Boy Is Mine came out in what, like 1999. You were like three years old. Three years like, old. Exactly. Know <laughs> what was going on. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I loved Nicki Minaj growing up. I like was obsessed with Nicki Minaj and YMCMB and like, the whole Drake, Little Wayne. Little Wayne was like my favorite artist growing up. You ask anyone in my family and they would say I have like probably embarrassing photos of me rapping. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But I love Nicki Minaj. I do worry about Lil Wayne's skin, to be honest. All of those face tattoos. I just, I don't know that he's got a good skincare regimen. When I hear sometimes what these celebrities are using, I'm like, how <laughs> and why? Who is letting you do this? Who is letting you do this? Like they're still using the lemon juice. And I'm like, we've graduated from that. I know. I know. Lemon juice is just like a little too acidic for your skin. So, okay. We've been in lockdown. It's been a year. How has your approach to beauty changed since the pandemic? You know, when I got to college, I used to wear quite a bit of makeup and then sports quickly <laughs> knocked that out of me because I had to wake up at 6am for weightlifting or for different, you know, 
classes or whatever. And so I stopped wearing makeup and I'm actually now during the pandemic putting makeup on just to like be at home. I'm finding like inspiration and fun with like, I'm just now getting back into eyeliner and I love the way it makes my eyes look. I'm learning a lot more now during the pandemic about beauty. I actually would love for someone to give me a makeup tutorial because I know the bare minimum. I used to know everything about like makeup and stuff. And now my sister has to ask me. So I'm looking for some tips and tricks if anyone wants to send me some of the DMs. Well, please guys DM her. But do you know who I love? Jackie Ina. Yes. I love... She's she's taught me so much about makeup. I need to sit and watch the videos because she did a video too about like how to wear makeup or how to put it on and it not transfer you to your mask. And I thought that was like the coolest thing ever. I think another thing is, and you can kind of tell by my hair, I'm exploring color. I've never dyed my hair in my life. And I dyed my hair, it's kind of like an auburn color. Oh my gosh, this is your hair? Yeah. Oh, well, not not all my hair. Not much. Wow. It's a gorgeous color. I'm obsessed. Thank you. And I always thought that like a color like this might wash me out, but I really, really like black girls in like ginger or auburn hair. It may not even look that bright here, but in the sun, it looks orange. And I... No, no, it looks so good. So your hair is like so laid. Like, did you just get it done and that's why it looks this good? Or like, tell us your secrets. No. So my hairstylist, her name is Valerie. She is BC Hair Studio on um, Instagram. She does all of my friends hair. She does like, she's so great. So great. So affordable. Like such a, just a sweet woman. And she just does, and she sells bundles that last a long time. I've had these since August and I've dyed them. And I've done all these different things and they like don't shed. They like press so well. This is a sew-in situation. This is a sew-in situation. I think I'm switching over to braids though, because leave out is... It's a struggle. A lot of work. (laughs) It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, especially if there's like humidity, the weather, if there's a strong wind. (laughs) It's just... And the thing is, I was trying to get on the wig life for a while. Yes. I I have the power to do it. It's just for it to lay the way it needs to. I would need to have someone come to my house every morning and do my hair. Okay. Cause I feel like all, all the Gen Z girls have figured out how to like do not me. amazing lace front wigs. And I'm like, how? Yeah, not me. I'm, I'm not there yet. So I'm actually going to like transition to braids for a little bit so I can give my hair a break and like give myself, just lay my edges and walk out the door. Uh, but I was actually thinking about that. You know, I think black girls always say this, but like my biggest question every month or every two months is what hairstyle will I do next? Every single, maybe two weeks. <laughs> I I took out my I took out my braids and now I'm just like I don't even know what this is. It's like a very old twist out. And doing your hair takes so much time. And especially when you're a busy woman, you feel like there's other things I could be doing with my time than my hair. But then I love changing my hair and I love experimenting. But you know what's fun? You should try. Have you done crochet braids ever? I haven't done them in a while, but I did used to do them. I should definitely get back in with crochet braids because it's so quick too. That's my issue is that I hate sitting for a style that takes a long time because I'm just like you. In two weeks, I'm like, wow, this is getting old. We should do something else. I should change up my look. So um, I definitely should go back to crochet braids again. Absolutely. Okay. Tell me a little bit about the experience of raising these millions of dollars you raised. Was it an experience you enjoyed? Did you? What, what was the hardest part? Tell me a little bit about it. It took two years. Two full years. Majority of people and people who typically raise VC capital is like usually white and male. It takes them about six months at max. It took me two years to raise this money. Wow. And um, it was really hard, but it was also a really good lesson on 
creating something people want. I think so many people are so quick to be like, oh, I need an investor. And I think that sometimes, yeah, you do need an investor right away, but most times you need to do a little bit more digging before you get there, right? Who's your community? What's your positioning? How are you going to spend the money? I think for me, it was really important actually to hear the hundred no's that I heard from all those investors. hundred, by the way. Wow. <laughs> and to get to like the few yeses because the people who got it and invested right away were people who just like, they understood and saw the magic of what this could be. And people who didn't are now coming back wanting to... <laughs> to of course. They're like, I should have gotten in on the first round. So... I know Hannah's one of your investors, right? Am I allowed adore to say her. that? Yes, yes Hannah's a great friend of the show. Hannah Bronfman for people listening. Um, and ultimately, like which VCs invested? And then like, what was the experience? Like, are, are you able to say who some of your investors were? Yeah, yeah. So Hannah is such a supporter of women. I, I just, I don't even, she uses her platform to help women. She just is so supportive. Like I email Hannah and Hannah emails me back like in a couple of hours. Like she's, with how busy she is and being a new mom, I'm just so surprised that she's always so on it with like, how can I help? What can I do? Why send out my monthly updates to my investors? She's always like, great job. You know, like always cheering me on. And it just feels so good to know that someone of her caliber is like cheering me on and supporting me. Other investors on the app table, Bozema St. John, who's the CMO of Netflix. She's actually my personal mentor. I love her. She's amazing. Such a supporter of women as well. Yvonne Orji, um, who is obviously a star on yeah. Insecure. Even yeah. though we, d- we don't like Molly on Insecure, but we love, oh, we Yvonne. love Yvonne. Right. We love, love her. Yvonne. We love her. Um, yes. And so also like the fund that um, is backed by Issa Rae, also imported, invested. So it's really cool to have Black women who are movers and shakers in the industry support us with their dollars. I think that love that's that. the biggest thing for me when I found my lead investor because I know most investors are not black or people of color. I, when my lead investor came in, I said, I don't know if you had you know, some people and friends you wanted to bring in, but I actually want to carve out this allocation for black people and people of color. And they were like, 100%, how can we connect you to people who can invest in a round? And my investors, the lead investors are Larry Hippo. They're based in New York City. First checks in Glossier, Allbirds, Warby Parker, Casper. So they they, have a, they know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. They have a great group of people around them. And so I was actually not even going to take the call when someone introed me because I was like, there is no way. They're not going to be interested. We're way too early. We're pre-revenue. Well, technically, because we had signed the Nordstrom pop-in deal by then. But I was like, yeah, they're not going to like us. And they fast-tracked us to a partner like within one meeting. And we did the deal probably within two weeks, which is like unheard of. And I think they saw what some of my other early investors saw, which is like, this is a market where people aren't playing. This is a founder who understands the market, knows how to build experiences, knows how to build community. And yeah, they invested. They're, they're my largest investor to date. And I've, I'm just so fortunate to have to be able to work with them. Um, again, they're, when you get investors, especially VC, people want to push you to like go really fast and like at all. It doesn't matter you know, how you get to the top, just get there. They're very much like, how do we do it sustainably? How can we support you as a founder with your mental health? How do we support your team? It's really great. I got like very, very, very fortunate with the people who I have on the cap table. I love to hear that. And they are fortunate to have you in their portfolio, right? So it's a two-way street. Yes. Um, I want to hear about some of your favorite beauty products. Like, What are the beauty products or experiences or things that you just love? Let's see. I'm a very simple person when it comes to like skincare and beauty. But I've recently been put on, and these are some of my friends, um, so disclaimer there, but I'm obsessed with Bread Beauty Supplies 
um, hair wash. I've never used a wash as moisturizing as I have 4C hair. I have never used a wash that just like clumps your curls, cleans your hair, smells really good. Like that product is 1010. Amazing. Okay. What else do you love? Also in the hair care category, Olaplex. I don't know what they put in that stuff. No, I love Olaplex. I don't know what they put in there, but it's, and I thought like, oh, it maybe got me for my hair texture. It's so good. I don't know what it is in there, but it's so, so good. Like, I think women who, you know, relax their hair, women who dye their hair, all types of hair, like black women need to get keyed into Olaplex. It's a bit expensive, but it lasts a long time. And it, to me, it smells really good. There's like a, a scent that like lingers and sticks with me that I really like, but that is, like those products are really great. What about body care? Body necessary. Okay. Uh, necessary. You know what? I love the packaging, <laughs> but I'm like, am I under the spell of this like very chic minimalist packaging? Like it's good, but. You know what I think it is? I think their formulas are really well done okay. in a category that's really sleepy. True. And so if there's nothing else that exists, like they are the best thing that we can have unless you're using, you know, ultra fragrance products. So I, I love their like the formula textures for necessaire. I think they're really great. I love the lip bars. They have um, this lip liner that is amazing. I never knew I could wear like pinks or reds or anything like that until I got a dark lip liner. And the lip bar, I love Melissa Butler. I love their um, lip liner. That's really good. Fenty. What can we say? Rihanna's a goddess. I don't know. I don't know what else we goddess. can say about her. I love the the hydrating foundation. Yeah, I think that's really what I'm using right now. I'm super minimal. I also love the fresh soy cleanser. I haven't used it in a bit, but I really like that one. Oh wow. That's like that like brings me back to like my early days in skincare, but it's like a good solid cleanser. Yeah. Solid cleanser. So your flawless and I love sunscreen. Sunscreen. Oh yeah. Tell me what your sunscreen faves are. Super goop. I really like super goop because I'm um, I'm like a super goop stan. Like everyone knows I love super goop. There's something about their, like, it's a primer and a sunscreen. Like, I just, the, yes. the technology that they're doing over there, they need to keep doing it because... I know. The unseen primer, sunscreen? Yes. I just have not had a product feel. It makes my makeup lay really flat and I have sun protection. It's just like a win-win for me. I love black girl sunscreen as well as like a, a sunscreen that is, if I'm not maybe doing makeup or anything, I could just wear that one and go out. And then I'm, I'm such a Vaseline on the lips girl. It's so funny. <laughs> That's, I mean, it works, right? Yes. Okay. You're flawless now, but in the past, did you have beauty mistakes? Yes. The eyebrows were a big one. My cousins still make fun of me to this day. My eyebrows were ultra thin. And it it wasn't, maybe I was obsessed with plucking is what it was. Like, was I plucking away? Was I, I don't know what I was doing, but but I actually like the the 90s, early 2000s eyebrows. You know, everyone likes the big bushy ones, but I, I actually really love I've been watching Bones recently and it's like set in like the early 2000s. And I love like, and we're, we're kind of having that renaissance right now too, like the Y2K. I actually really like thin eyebrows. Not obviously not anything too wild, but I do like the thin eyebrows. It's because you're young, right? So they say that by the time the trend comes around the second time, if you were there and participated in it in the first time, you're like too old. <laughs> so you were like, a, you were like a little girl, like watching all of this stuff happening in like the early 2000s. And now you can like, now it's come back and you can participate. And for me, I'm 31. I'm like, let's leave it in the past. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like the low rise jeans. And like- oh my gosh. Are you... Are you team low-rise jeans? Please explain this to me as a Gen Z, just as a representative of your generation. 
I love Y2K fashion. I may not wear it all the time, but I do love Y2K fashion. I'm still on the kind of mom jean trend because I think okay. that come back a little bit. But I love a good low jean. I don't have any what? now that I think about it, but I love... It's so cute. I think it just like... It's just, I don't know. It's just the way the clothes lay on you when you like wear Y2K is just kind of like, you just don't care. Like you just keep, you just don't even care. <laughs> Alana Day, as someone who was there and experienced it, the butt crack was always exposed. It was and not the, cute. And the thong showing. Oh my God. You're, you're too young. You, Christina Aguilera, dirty. Does that mean anything to yes, you? It does. It does. In hindsight. <laughs> <sighs> Tragic. Tragic. But that was like, who we looked to, like that was it. It was like Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera. For some reason, when I look at Destiny's Child pictures, I don't know if it's because they're black women and they're so beautiful. It like really hits for me still. Right. It looks tasteful. <laughs> it looks really good. But like, and then I look at like Christina Aguilera dirty and I'm like, this is what we want it to look like. I don't understand. I know. I know. I think it's like this Y2K with the, the two, uh, 2020 twist though, right? I think that it's not exactly fully Y2K. It's very much like, the future of Y2K, if that even makes any sense. <laughs> no, it totally makes sense. What do you think a lot of brands and companies get wrong when they're trying to talk to your generation? Like what makes your eyes roll? I think I alluded to this earlier of people wanting to um, create products and like experiences, but not actually listening to what people want. Like Gen Z is not actually that like, as people will say, like glittery and glam. Like they're not very much, they're not, super hard to please. But I think so many people think it's so difficult to be like keyed in with what Gen Z wants. But like, we want sustainability. We want inclusivity. We want things that actually do what they say they're going to do. Like I I wrote an article um, or like a little essay on the difference between millennials and Gen Zs. And like, there's this whole thing about millennials being Henry's, right? Which stands for high earning, not rich yet. And there's this thing about Gen Zs where Gen Zs are a lot more nihilistic, like I mentioned earlier. Henry's, they buy things to feel like they are a part of a certain upper echelon, right? Gen Z could care less, right? They're individualistic. They're doing whatever they want to do, but they're also very community oriented. And so I think that if you look at just like anthropologically at Gen Z, you'll start to understand that it's like, if it's good for all and it's good for me, it's probably something I want to buy. That makes so much sense. And I think millennials could learn a lot from that way of thinking. The, the millennial versus Gen Z beef that's brewing on TikTok is like one, so of, my, one of my favorite things. I like don't even get it fully because I'm like, I know Gen Z is really not even checking for millennials. We're just making fun of you. And <laughs> we just know that you're, that millennials are so, so stressed that if we just like poke fun at you a little bit, like you'll just break. I think that's what it is. Millennials are unraveling. They're like, yeah, literally. <laughs> they're like, do I need to start wearing a middle part? I don't understand. Why don't they like my skinny jeans? And I'm like watching it all like, why do you care? But right. they're really unraveling. Yeah, I think, you know, it's so funny to think about like, they really came of age on the internet. And I think Gen Z, we were born into this, right? And so this whole like transition, we didn't have that. We just kind of grew up on the internet. So we like kind of know how to handle it. And it feels like millennials are still like, do we use dial-up or do we use Wi-Fi? Like, <laughs> <laughs> totally. We remember the days of like, yeah, dial-up internet, AOL. Like we had a very different experience of the internet than you guys ever had. Like you guys probably like MySpace means nothing to you. It's just totally different. Now, last question about Gen Z. Is the laughing crying emoji truly dead? Is that very cringe for you? You know, I use the laughing cat emoji. Okay, the laughing the- cat. 
Okay, so explain. I don't use the regular one. The laughing cat is like apparently what Gen Z uses. Why? I don't get it. I think the laugh, the cat is so like cynical. Like the cat is just like, like laughing at you and like just like looking at you up and down, I feel like more than the other one. The other one's face is like too rounded and it's too like, it's too like bubbly, like, like happy. Like we're not like, I keep telling you, we're really nihilistic. Like we're kind of happy. We're kind of not. We're kind of over it all. Okay. We're also really excited to be here. So I think like the the cat laughing emoji is just like a more cultured and textured way to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Okay. I'm going to start using the laughing cat emoji. Am I allowed to do that? Am I allowed to dip into like Gen Z culture? Come in, come in with the kids. We're, we're enjoying ourselves here. Okay. I love it. I love it. Okay. Final question. I've loved talking to you. You've taught me so much and I'm so inspired by your story. I ask all of my guests this question and it is, when do you feel most beautiful? I feel most beautiful. Beauty to me is such an interesting kind of thing, right? Is beauty physical? Is it like emotional? And I think I feel most beautiful when I am doing what I'm meant to do. So like I tell my team all the time, find your zone of genius, uh, which I write about in an article. Um, There's like a, a researcher that coined that term zone of genius, but it's like, your zone of genius can be, you know, when you're have the perfect, you know, cat eye, your zone of genius can be like when you, like today we had a, a product brainstorming meeting, when you like get a, hit on a product name that like is so fire and it's like, you know, it's going to hit or it's like when you're creating music or creating art, I think like that's to me is what beauty is. It's like really feeling fulfilled in whatever it is that you're doing. And so I feel the most beautiful when I'm in my zone of genius. I absolutely love that answer. And I feel like you're in your zone of genius pretty often because you're just absolutely killing it. I try to stay there. Yes. It's where I live. Right. I try to live there. I tell a lot of people, it's like so many people want to be good at everything or they want to like have control of a lot of different things. But like, if you, if you talk to my team, you'll know that like, I give people a lot of autonomy to like do the things they're good at because if I'm doing things I'm not good at, I'm not in my zone of genius. So I'm not happy. I'm tired, I'm irritable, the creative juices are not flowing. And so it doesn't make sense for me to try and be in that area. It's it's better for me to find someone who that is their zone of genius and let them take over on that. Obviously with like oversight in the future that things are like running smoothly, but try my best to get out of people's way. I love that. You're so inspiring. I thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. And I already know my audience loves your products, but if you guys don't, if you're not following the Instagram account, if you're not buying the products, like get on it, you're late. Thank you so much for your time this evening. I appreciate you. Thank you so, so much for having me. I am so honored to be on the podcast. And I think you also deserve your flowers for creating a lane for women to talk about beauty in a way that's just so different. I don't know how you do it with your day job and this. Like I I remember going and I was like, oh, she must be full-time now with how big this is getting. Still kicking butt at Instagram. So, and you're a new mom. I mean, I'm doing nothing compared to you. So I, I want to give you your flowers and let you know. I see you. I support you. And thank you for creating space for us to just have fun. Like it's been like a really fun interview Yay. and chat. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I will drop links in the show notes so everyone can follow and just get acquainted if you guys aren't already. Thank you so much. Thank you. I heard that you were- 
You'll know real when you get it. It will say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like a gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Alright guys, thank you so much for listening. Before we go, I have a beauty question. This is from Christina. Christina, thank you so much for emailing me and for all of your enthusiasm and exclamation marks. I'm going to read Christina's email now. Brooke, I freaking love your podcast. And I was blown away that there wasn't a question this week. She's talking about last week when there wasn't a question. Guys, email me your beauty questions at nakedbeautypodcast at gmail.com. Subject line, beauty question. I may not even be the typical age that listens to your podcast. I'm 47, but I have more than one question. Maybe you can answer both. If not, I'll take whatever I can get. So she sent two questions. One is about the eyeshadow process for hooded eyes. And the other one is a long question. So I'm going to take your first question, Christina. I hope that's okay. Your first question is, I need to know, and she put that in all caps, I need to know what order to apply what in my skincare routine. And is serum necessary? And do we need to apply a moisturizer to damp skin? And if so, what happens to the other products you applied when you mist and dampen your face? Such a good detailed question. She then says, Brooke, I am so thrilled I happened upon your podcast sister. Keep it up. Signed a 40-something Naked Beauty podcast listener from New Jersey, Christina. Thank you, Christina, for this question. Now, this whole thing about what order to apply skincare products in is so needlessly confusing. And I think you can kind of do your own thing, but there are a few principles that I do believe in. So first things first, you're always going to do a cleanser first. You're always going to clean your skin first. That's number one. Now, how you choose to cleanse is totally different. Some people double cleanse, but whatever you do, cleanser first. Then you want to follow up with your toner. Now, I don't want to confuse things that some people use toners that are also like essences, but after your cleanser, you want to do a toner. After your toner, that's generally when you do your serums. You asked if a serum is necessary. It is absolutely not necessary. Even a toner is not necessary. I think the only necessary steps to your skincare routine are cleanser, moisturizer, and during the day, sunscreen. That's all that's really necessary. But if you want to have a full multi-step routine, then you do your serum. This is where I differ from a lot of what other beauty girls say when it comes to this step. So toner, serum, and then most people will tell you that you do your face oil last. Now, I don't do that. Most of my serums are oil-based. So I actually, my serum is usually like an argan oil-based or jojoba oil or a sea buckthorn oil. So I do cleanser, toner, slash essence, and then I do my facial oil. 
A lot of people will tell you that that's not the order to do things. Your serum can also be like a more of a cream consistency. It can be a gel-like consistency. There are so many different serums. A serum is usually just a skincare product that tar- that's targeting a certain issue. So it could be an anti-aging serum. It could be a skin tone evening serum. It could be a serum that is meant to boost collagen or elasticity. It really depends on what the serum's doing, but you want to basically do it after your toner. Then you do your eye cream. If you're doing any spot treatments, you can do your spot treatments here. Then you follow up with a moisturizer and then retinol if you're using retinol. And then a lot of people will tell you to do your face oil last. I do not. I do my face oil as my serum. So one more time, cleanser, toner, your serum slash facial oil, if you're me, eye cream, any spot treatment, and then retinol and moisturizer. If it's during the day, your very last step of your skincare routine is sunscreen. Now, I do love misting my face with water in between skincare steps. And I do think that's just like going to help the products absorb so much better into your skin. If you have ever gotten out of the shower and put lotion or oil or cream on your body out of the shower when your skin is damp versus putting lotion on dry skin, you know the difference. Your skin just absorbs that product so much better. And I do like the idea of misting your face with rose water in between your skincare steps. And that's really if you have dry skin like me. But for a lot of people, their skin is wet from cleansing and they can just go in and do their whole routine without their skin drying out. I do find that, especially because I just take a long time, I'm usually doing my my gua sha, my whole thing. I do find that I do like misting my skin between steps. So I hope that was helpful to you, Christina. Thank you so much for your letter and for your enthusiasm. And I'm so happy you found the podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'll be back later this week with a new episode. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.